This is Jake Leahy reading the Supreme Court decision syllabus in Calcutt versus FDIC. Procurium. Writ of certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, decided on May 22, 2023. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, brought enforcement action against Petitioner, the former CEO of a Michigan-based community bank, for mismanaging one of the bank's loan relationships in the wake of the Great Recession of 2007-2009. After proceedings before the agency concluded, the FDIC ordered Petitioner removed from office, prohibited him from further banking activities, and assessed $125,000 in civil penalties. Petitioner subsequently filed a petition for a review in the Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. That court determined that the FDIC had made two legal errors in adjudicating Petitioner's case. But instead of remanding the matter back to the agency, the Sixth Circuit conducted its own review of the record and concluded that substantial evidence supported the agency's decision. That was error. It is, quote, a simple but fundamental rule of administrative law that reviewing courts must judge the propriety of agency action solely by the grounds invoked by the agency, end quote, citing SEC versus Chenery Corp. in 1947. An agency's discretionary order may be upheld, in other words, only on the same basis articulated in the order by the agency itself. Burlington Truck Lines versus United States uh, from 1962. By affirming the FDIC's sanctions against petitioner based on a legal rationale different from the one adopted by the FDIC, the Sixth Circuit violated these commands. We accordingly grant the petition for certiorari limited to the first question presented, reverse the judgment of the Sixth Circuit, and order that court to remand this matter to the FDIC so it may reconsider petitioner's case anew in a matter consistent with this opinion. 1. Under Section 8E of the Federal Deposit Insurance Act, FDIA, as amended by the Financial Institutions Reform, Recovery, and Enforcement Act of 1989, the FDIC may remove and prohibit individuals from working in the banking sector if certain conditions are met. First, the FDIC must determine that an individual committed misconduct. That occurs when, as relevant here, the individual has engaged or participated in, in an, any unsafe or unsound practice or breaches fiduciary duty. Second, the FDIC must find that a bank or its depositors were harmed or that the individual personally benefited by reason of the individual's misconduct. Finally, the individual's misconduct must involve personal dishonesty or demonstrate willful or continuing disregard for the safety or soundness of the bank. In this case, the FDIC brought an enforcement action under these provisions against petitioner Harry C. Calcutt III. From 2000 to 2013, Calcutt served as CEO of Northwestern Bank, headquartered in Traverse City, Michigan. During Calcutt's tenure, the bank developed a lending relationship with the Nielsen Entities, a group of 19 family-owned businesses that operate in the real estate and oil industries. In 2009, the lending relationship, by then the bank's biggest began to sour. On September 1 of that year, facing financial difficulties due to the Great Recession, the entities stopped paying their loans outright, 
At the time, they owed the bank $38 million. A few months later, the parties reached a multi-step agreement known as the Bedrock Transaction to bring all of the entity's loans current. That agreement stabilized the Nielsen lending relationship for the following year. But on September 1, 2010, the entities again stopped making their loan payments. Another short-term agreement was reached, allowing the entities to continue servicing their debt for the next few months. But in January 2011, the entities once, once more stopped making their loan payments. They've remained in default ever since. On April 13, 2012, the FDIC opened an investigation into the bank's officers for their role in the Nielsen matter. The investigation concluded on August 20, 2013, at which time the agency issued a notice of intention to remove Petitioner, as well as two other bank executives from office, and to prohibit them from further participation in the banking industry. The agency also issued a notice of assessment of civil penalties. The basis for the proposed sanctions were the agency's allegations that Petitioner had, in violation of Section 1818E, mishandled the Nielsen entity's lending relationships in various ways. The bedrock transaction failed to comply with the bank's internal loan policy. The bank's board of directors was misled or misinformed of the nature of the transaction. Petitioner failed to respond accurately to FDIC inquiries about the transaction, and the transaction was misreported on the bank's financial statements. On October 29, 2019, an FDIC administrative law judge began a seven-day evidentiary hearing into the petitioner's conduct. Petitioner was among one of 12 witnesses who testified. On April 3, 2020, the, the administrative law judge issued his written decision, recommending that Petitioner be barred from the banking industry and be assessed a $125,000 civil penalty based on his mishandling of the Nielsen loan relationship. Petitioner appealed the administrative law judge's decision to the FDIC board. The FDIC board began its review by determining first whether Petitioner had engaged in, in an unsafe or unsound banking practice. Such a practice, according to the board, is one that is contrary to generally accepted standards of prudent operation, while consequences are an abnormal risk of loss or harm to a bank. Quoting Michael versus FDIC. The board held that standard satisfied, concluding that the record in this matter overwhelmingly establishes that Petitioner engaged in numerous unsafe or unsound practices. The board then addressed the issue of causation. In doing so, the board concluded that an individual need not be the proximate cause of the harm to be liable under Section 8E. With that understanding in mind, the board found the petitioner had caused the bank harm in three ways. First, the bank had to charge off, forgive, $30,000 of one of the loans made in the bedrock transaction. Second, the bank suffered $6.4 million in losses on other Nielsen loans. And third, the bank incur incurred investigative auditing and legal expenses in managing the bedrock transaction and the fallout. Finally, the board turned to the issue of culpability. It found that the record was well supported, the administrative law judge's conclusions, that petitioner persistently concealed the true common nature of the Nielsen entity loans portfolio and problems with that portfolio. The board also found that petitioner falsely answered questions presented to him during examinations, concealed documents showing the true condition of the loans, and falsely testified that board members had been fully apprised of the nature of the Nielsen loan portfolio. Based on these findings, the board issued a final decision imposing the penalties that the administrative law judge had recommended. 
Petitioner then filed a petition for review in the Sixth Circuit, identifying several purported errors in the board's decisions. Two are relevant here. First, petitioner contended that the board had misapplied the FDIA's by reason of requirement by concluding that a showing of proximate cause was not needed. The Sixth Circuit agreed. The court observed that the Supreme Court had repeatedly and explicitly held that when Congress uses the phrase by reason of in a statute, it tends to require a showing of proximate cause. Second, petitioner argued that he had not proximately caused the harms that the board had identified, or in the alternative that those harms did not qualify as harmful effects as a matter of law. The Sixth Circuit agreed in part. Petitioner had indeed approximately caused the $30,000 charge-off on one of the bedrock transaction loans the court held because he had participated extensively in negotiating and approving the bedrock transaction. But the $6.4 million in losses on other Nielsen loans were a different matter. Petitioner could be held responsible only for part of that harm, the court explained, as the bank probably would have incurred some loss no matter what Calcutt did. Finally, none of the investigative auditing and legal expenses incurred in dealing with the Nielsen entities could qualify as harms to the bank as those expenses occurred as part of the bank's normal business. Despite identifying these legal errors in the board's analysis, the Sixth Circuit nevertheless affirmed the board's decision by a 2-1 to vote. The court concluded that substantial evidence supported the board's sanctions determination, even though the board never applied the proximate cause standard itself or consider whether the sanctions against Calcutt were warranted on the narrower set of harms that the Sixth Circuit identified. We now reverse. 2. It is a well-established maxim of administrative law that if the record before the agency does not support the agency action, or if the agency had not considered all relevant factors, the proper course, except in rare circumstances, is to remand to the agency for additional investigation or explanation. Florida Power and Light Company v. Florian, from 1985. A reviewing court, accordingly, is not generally empowered to conduct a de novo inquiry into the matter being reviewed and to reach its own conclusions based on such an inquiry. For if the grounds propounded by the agency for its decision are inadequate or improper, the court is powerless to affirm the administrative action by substituting what it considers to be a more adequate or proper basis. Chenery. See also Smith v. Berryhill from 2019. Fundamental principles of administrative law teach that a federal court generally goes astray if it decides a question that has been delegated to an agency if that agency has not first had a chance to address the question. As both petitioner and the solicitor general representing respondent here, the Sixth Circuit should have followed the ordinary remand rule here. That court concluded the FDIC board had made two legal errors in its opinion. The proper course for the Sixth Circuit after finding that the board had erred was to remand the matter back to the FDIC for further consideration of petitioner's case. The guiding principle violated here is that the function of the reviewing court ends when an error of law is laid bare. FPC v. Idaho Power Company, 1952. See also Gonzalez v. Thomas, 2006. Also was a per curiam decision. Remanding the to agency based on failure by Court of Appeals to apply the ordinary remand rule. The Sixth Circuit, for its part, believed that remand was unnecessary because it would result in yet another agency proceeding that amounts to an idle and useless formality. Quoting NLRB versus Wyman Gordon Company, 1969. 
It is true that the remand may be unwarranted in cases where there is not the slightest uncertainty as the outcome of the agency's proceeding on remand. But we have applied that exception only in narrow circumstances. Where the agency was required to take a particular action, we have observed that it provide a different rationale for the necessary result is no cause for upsetting the rule, its ruling. Morgan Stanley versus Public Utility District Number 1, 2008. That exception does not apply in this case. The FDIC was not required to reach the result it did. The question whether to sanction petitioner, as well as the severity and type of any sanction that could be imposed, is a discretionary judgment. That judgment is highly fact-specific and contextual, given the number of factors relevant to petitioner's ultimate culpability. To conclude, then, that any outcome in this case is foreordained is to deny the agency the flexibility in addressing issues in the banking sector as Congress has allowed. The petition for writ of certiorari is granted limited to the first question presented. The judgment of the Court of Appeals of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit is reversed. The case is remanded for further proceedings cons- consistent with his opinion. It is so ordered.